Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome. We're delighted to have you here and those of you out in YouTube land as well. So I have a question for you this morning. How are you when it comes to making decisions? Is that an easy thing or do you struggle? Some of you may remember that in April of 2006, a new word was added to the English lexicon by our president, George W. Bush, when he referred to himself as the decider. Well, the media caught that and then called him the decider-in-chief. But, of course, what he really meant was that he was the one who ultimately made the important decisions in his administration. In August of 2002, in Los Angeles, there was a would-be carjacker who made a number of serious bad choices. Tyrone Germain Hogan had already stolen the car of an elderly couple that Saturday morning and had gotten away scot-free. So Hogan may have been feeling a little cocky when he reached into that van to take the keys, not realizing that the Florida International University Judo Club was inside and they beat the stuffing out of Hogan and then turned him over to the police. Well that story certainly qualifies him as a poster boy for bad choices, doesn't it? But we all make bad choices from time to time, maybe out of haste or foolishness or lack of information. Dr. Philip McGraw, the well-known Dr. Phil, tells a story from his own life that emphasizes the importance of making good choices. Throughout his high school years, McGraw's best friend was a man, young man named Dean. McGraw and Dean did everything together, took the same classes, worked in the same warehouse, but their paths separated after high school. Dean got married and continued to work in that warehouse. His priority now was supporting a family. McGraw went away to college and got his degree. For a while, McGraw and his friends kind of envied Dean because he made enough money to buy a, a nice car and rent his own apartment. But eventually, Dean and McGraw lost contact, only to run into each other 10 years later and Dean was divorced now, still working at a low-paying job. Little else had changed in his life, but now McGraw was Dr. Philip McGraw. What happened? How could two people find such different paths in life? And I think the answer comes down to one word, just one word, choices. This first Sunday in Lent, we're invited to look at our lives and the choices that we make at those significant moments in our lives. Did we choose Christ's way or our own way? 
Maybe the decision involved a choice of marriage partners or jobs or priorities or how we dealt with temptation. We've all had those crossroads moments in our lives and we've all had to live with the consequences of our choices. This Lenten season is the perfect time to confront our choices because this is the season where we remember what Jesus sacrifice for us was. It's a time when we go deeper and realign our lives with the Savior who made the ultimate choice to lay down his life for us. It's not too much to ask that we be willing to, to make some decisions for our own faith. Our gospel today is about a crossroads moment in Jesus' life. When he had to make a significant choice. Jesus had just received the ultimate seal of approval, if you will. He had been baptized in the river by John, and as he came up out of the river, the Spirit descended on him like a dove. And then the voice of God announced, you are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. Wow, can you just imagine that scene? But Jesus' baptism was not to wash away his sins because he didn't have any. No, his baptism was a symbol of how others needed to follow him to be baptized as well. Jesus' baptism was also a way to begin his new ministry. And then Mark records these words. And the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Now, this wasn't some posh mountain retreat center where Jesus formulated his five-year plan for the church. No, the wilderness was barren and dangerous and isolated. Mark writes that he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. Forty days in the wilderness, threatened by wild beasts, and tempted by Satan. All right, anybody here old enough to remember what a service station was? You know, you could go there, get gas for your car, and get it worked on, too. We don't have many of those anymore, but there was an amusing sign that hung in one service station. It said, come in, let a shock, tire, break, and exhaust you. <laughs> well, I think that was Satan's plan for Jesus to shock, tire, break, and exhaust him, to wear down his faith in the Father, to confuse his mission. So after such a glorious start, why then did the Spirit drive Jesus into the wilderness? Well, I think it's a little bit like steel. When you temper steel, it becomes stronger. Jesus had to face a time of challenge and crisis in order to prepare himself for ministry. You see, Satan was offering him a choice. He was offering a choice to surrender or significance. That was Jesus' crossroads moment. A woman named Rudy Galdonic shares how God encouraged her at a crossroads moment in her life. Due to a business partner's mismanagement, Rudy's business was on the verge of collapse. She and her husband faced financial ruin if the business folded. Driving home from the office one day, she tuned in a Christian radio station. 
And a preacher was delivering a message that spoke directly to Rudy Galdonic's need. He said, just remember this. Today's challenges and crises are tomorrow's credentials. Think about that. With those words of encouragement, Rudy and her husband rallied the staff around a new business plan, and in less than a year, they were out of debt and growing. But today's challenges and crises are tomorrow's credentials. Jesus faced down the most seductive lies of Satan's arsenal. He did it relying on God's word. And when Jesus emerged from the wilderness, he did so in triumph ready to preach the good news about the coming of God's kingdom. Jesus showed that he was fully ready for the ministry to which God had called him. By enduring the challenge, he had earned his credentials. You know, I think we, in our country we have an ongoing problem with parents struggling to talk to their children about drugs. Part of the problem is that for some of those parents, in the past when they were teens, they may themselves have experimented with drugs. And now the chickens have come home to roost, so to speak. A generation later, illegal drugs are more potent, more dangerous, and more available than ever before. Parents often have difficulty talking to their kids because they themselves had succumbed to the temptation. They therefore lack the moral authority to give their children proper direction. That's one dangerous, dangerous side effect of sin. It saps our moral authority. Jesus' message and ministry gained their power from his time in the wilderness. And Jesus endured his temptations so that he could provide help for us as we face our temptations. The author of Hebrews is referring to Jesus when he writes, because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And more, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who was tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Make no doubt about it, you and I face temptations every day, some of them large, some of them small, but at the heart of every temptation is the same crucial question. Will we follow Christ's example or follow our own desires? Will we face up to the challenge or will we give in to our own weakness? Pastor David McKenna in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark reminds us that the book was being written to a small band of Roman Christians who were under constant persecution by the Roman government. The Romans had invented that barbaric practice of sending unarmed Christians into the arena with hungry lions as a form of entertainment. Can you imagine, though, facing this choice? Keep the faith and face persecution and death, or renounce your faith and melt back into the anonymous crowd of Roman citizens. What a choice to have to make. McKenna imagines the believers gathered in a secret meeting and reading over Mark's letter to them, searching for some words of encouragement. And here they are in these verses. Their Savior, 
knew what it was to be alone, hungry, needy, isolated, in danger, surrounded by wild beasts, and tempted to give in, just as they were. And yet he endured. And because he endured, he sealed our reconciliation with God. Jesus' example gives us the courage, the hope, and the promise that we can endure temptation as well. And there's something we ought to bear in mind, and that is we become stronger when we resist temptation. That's something about the power of the tempter. The more we give in, the weaker we become. The more we resist, the stronger we become. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the wicked queen entices the boy, Edmund, with a box of Turkish delight. Each piece is sweet and delicious, and Edmund has never tasted anything better. There's only one problem. The more he eats of this enchanted Turkish delight, the more he wants. He doesn't know that this is the wicked queen's plan. The more he eats, the more he will want, and thus he will eat and eat and eat until it kills him. It would never satisfy his hunger. It would never fill him up. It would simply kill him. Lewis is giving us a metaphor for sin. That's how sin is. It never satisfies. It only enslaves. Stephen Covey deals with that in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He notes that just as junk food and lack of exercise can ruin an athlete's condition, so, too, things that are obscene, crude, or pornographic can lead an inner darkness. Covey quotes the words of the late Dag Hammarskjöld, the former Secretary General of the United Nations, who said, You cannot play with the animal in you without becoming wholly animal. Play with falsehood without forfeiting your right to truth. Play with cruelty without losing your sensitivity of mind. He who wants to keep his garden tidy doesn't reserve a plot for weeds. Hmm. It's sort of like something that happen, happened when they renovated the Queen Mary. You know, the Queen Mary was uh, the biggest ship on the ocean when she was launched in 1936. And after nearly four decades of sailing, she was retired to Long Beach where she became a floating hotel and museum. And during its conversion to its present status, the three massive smokestacks on the Queen Mary had to be taken off to be scraped and painted. But on the dock, these three massive smokestacks of uh, steel just crumbled. Actually, what really happened was there was nothing left to crumble. That three-quarter inch steel plate was completely gone. And all that remained was the more than 30 coats of paint that had been applied over the years. The steel had just rusted away. Isn't that what happens to some people's character? They give in to temptation time and time again until their moral fiber is eaten away. Fortunately for us, the converse is also true. The more times we resist the tempter, the stronger we become and the weaker he becomes. Anyone who's ever tried to 
start an exercise program or go on a diet or quit smoking has learned the hardest part is getting started. Jesus chose to nip temptation in the bud. And remember, Jesus was not alone in the wilderness because God was with him. And God is with us as well as we face our temptations. As the psalmist proclaims, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord walks this journey with us. Jesus is with us at every turn and every decision we make. We can rely on him, trust in him. I once heard about a man who was struggling to quit smoking. He, he had tried dozens of times with no success. And then one day a simple phrase came to him. It was this. It was powerful. It was, I don't smoke anymore, thank God. And that's all it took. He found success when he invoked God's help. The man found strength through God to support his choice, and so can we. In our choices lies our destiny. Who we are five or ten years down the road will depend upon the choices we make today. But no choice is more crucial, more central, or more influential than our choice to follow Jesus. It will affect our priorities, our values, our plans, and our attitudes more than any other choice we'll ever make. Will we stand firm in the face of testing? Will we, like Christ, gain the power and assurance that comes from godliness? You may have made a few bad choices in your life. I know I have. We all have. The season of Lent reminds us that the first message of Jesus' ministry and the last line of our gospel this morning was to repent literally to change your mind or to change direction. This is the challenge Jesus lays before us today. So as you face life's choices, I pray that you will choose his way for your life. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.